90.7 is back to basics. Serious rock and roll with no commercial interruptions. That means more music, and that's what radio is all about. Radio dials all over western New York are finding the new sounds of 90.7 FM WGCC. Hello, Cleveland! This is Vinylthon. Rock on! All vinyl, all day. Oh, man, thank you! Because when the needle drops, the power rises. Thank you, I love it! Welcome to Vinylthon 2023. My name is Rob Quick. I'm founder of Vinylthon and also someone who obviously loves music. Last weekend, I had an extraordinary honor, along with Todd Richards from WBWC 883 The Sting, Baldwin Wallace University, and also host of Running Late, along with Dr. Tim Craig, professor of communication and advisor of Radio Warner at Warner University in Florida. We traveled all the way to Cleveland, Ohio, to attend a very special occasion. A proposal to record a special show at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland had been accepted. And so therefore, we flew all the way from New York and from Florida. And for Todd, it was pretty easy because he lived in Cleveland. And so we met him in Cleveland and we planned to do a very special show for Vinylthon 2023. The show was going to be a celebration, the greatest musical moments in recorded history on vinyl. We're not only going to get a tour of the Rock and Hall of Fame, but we were going to also get to record there in the studios as well. Actually, we were going to get a tour before it was open to the public first thing in the morning. And in addition to those two things, we were going to spend the day exploring and learning and looking at all the other exhibits because there's plenty to do and see. So to start off the day, we were there bright and early. We arrived and entered the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the exhibit space, and there was no one else around. And thanks to Joe, who was going to be our guide, we started our tour. But we only had one hour before people would join us. So I feel as if we really barely scratched the surface. But... Here's some highlights of that tour. Joe Butler, and I'm the education manager here at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So the first place that we've come to, it says the roots of rock and roll. Why are we starting here? We're starting here because rock and roll was a moment in time where communities and populations of different backgrounds and joys came together around this music. But the music had other names, and the music came from many different places. And that's what this exhibit represents, is all of those musics that came before rock and roll was a moment. What I love about the Roots of Rock and Roll exhibit is how you can identify many iconic rock and roll looks, feels, attitudes, style, sounds. By just looking at all the great artifacts we have on display from these artists that predate rock and roll by either one decade or multiple um, as far as when they were popular and when they were really pulling massive crowds around the globe Um, and so you see the glitz the glam you see the road weary and you know really putting themselves out there and grinding through many of the clubs and everywhere else that they would go and play and you see that represented regardless of what music style i'm talking about as we even can look around the room here and see the names on the wall from ruth brown to B.B. King, to Aretha Franklin, to Pete Seeger, um, all of these names and their compatriots and counterparts at the times really show off a lot of what rock and roll becomes, this thing that is larger than life, glitz, glam, on the big stage, under the big lights, and really pulling massive crowds together for a good time. It's really interesting to see it starting mid to late 1940s, incorporating jazz, incorporating blues 
I mean, it's really amazing to sort of see how far back it goes. And we're talking almost, well, basically a century now, getting on uh, soon enough. We thought it'd be really cool to bring the tour live by playing you some of the music that we were looking at uh, whilst we were going around. So if we go way, way back into history, I'm talking, well, 1948 now. The song It's Too Soon to Know, as an American do-what ballad performed by the Orioles, it was number one in American rhythm blues charts in November 1948, is considered by a lot of people as the first rock and roll song ever released. Does she love me? It's too soon to know Can I believe it When she tells Is it all a game? Am I the fire or just a no? So those early sections, early exhibits, there's many clothes and records and memorabilia and instruments, but one of the things that we found was really amazing was one of the guitars of Robert Lockwood Jr., who was an American Delta blues guitarist. He was born in 1915, who died in 2006. He was the only guitarist to have learned to play directly from Robert Johnson. If you know anything about Robert Johnson, there's all these myths and legends, which obviously we had to ask about, as Joe was our expert as we were there. Well, legend has it, as we see yeah. here, too. Um, and it, it, is, it is accurate, but um, a lot of Robert Johnson's life That's has Robert Johnson. gaps in its story and has uh, also been elevated in some fashion to a status of lore um, as he, you know, meeting the devil at the crossroads is right. the story. Yeah. Um, but in reality, he was a man down there and a young man. Um, and so for a time, though, Robert Johnson had, you know, dated the mother of Robert Lockwood Jr. while they were down in the South. And um, so he got to spend some very quality time with him in his early years learning from that man. Um, he was one of uh, certainly a few folks that had the privilege to, to sit with the man and, and hear him play and, and learn from him. So that's what's really great then is then we connect that to Cleveland by Robert Lockwood Jr. and his family moving north during that period of great migration and settled here and, and found work in a lot of the areas that many people that have traveled to Cleveland, Ohio have found. Um, and that's really what makes Cleveland, Ohio such a special place to have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and tell these stories is because so many people came from so many places, but this music that we now recognized as rock and roll and really made a moment back in the 1950s was because of all these great people that came from so many different places on our planet to enjoy the same music here. So this is a song, Robert Lockwood Jr. song, released in 1951, I'm going to dig myself a hole. And on vinyl, it sounds like this. Well, this world is gonna tangle. The people's going broke. Worried about my baby and I ain't got no place to go. I'm gonna dig myself a hole. Move down underground. Well, I've got my questionnaire, I got my class card too. 
got my baby and I don't know just what to do. I'm gonna take myself a hold, move down on the ground. River and across the deep blue sea, my baby standing there wondering what's to become of me. I'm gonna dig myself a hole, move down underground. Well, when I come up, there won't be no all around. With her arm folded up and crying That's why I believe that I'm gonna have to change my mind I'm gonna dig myself a hole Look down on the ground Well, when I come up There won't be no all around Well, I got no one to love me Yes, I'm all alone Give up my baby When you enter the rock hall, you're in this exhibit, The Roots of Rock, the early pioneers of rock and roll. Country, folk, bluegrass, blues, gospel... All of these contributed and are recognised as being the origins of rock and roll. So that's a really cool place to start to begin the story if you're going to be approaching this chronologically. Just when you're starting to recover your senses from what you've seen, you turn around the corner and then you see something else. And this time we saw a brand new artefact, which was actually an old piano that looked as if it had been beaten to a pulp. The keys were damaged, the wood was faded and scratched. It looked well used. But then again, once we found out who it had been owned by, it made perfect sense. Brand new artifact for us to have on display, really. It is Jerry Lee Lewis's childhood piano. So I think wow. this just went out yesterday or today, or wow. yesterday or this wow, morning. Wow, that has seen some life, right? So if you notice how the a lot of the keys are indented, mm-hmm. yeah, um, that apparently is just from how frequently he would play it, and he would play it in passing at times as a kid and just come by and constantly try to figure well, out yeah. new things. And, and so just that frequency of play and touch and certainly, you know, we ultimately know this man really focused on these as tools and he mm-hmm. used them in every way he could to be the entertainer he was. Um, but certainly you see here on this artifact, the those early stages of him just trying to understand that tool and, and what he could do with it. It is, uh, it's almost looks like the keys have been like pummeled with energy and you know the excitement of music really and when you consider who yeah was yeah. learning it again it, it shows exactly that he had that energy yeah. from such an early age of yes always just putting this energy into the piano and understanding how he could translate that into sounds that made people want to dance 
Yeah. I wonder if there's a footprint on the uh, oh, top sure. of the keyboard somewhere. Don't, sure. I, yeah, that's yeah, a good yeah. question. That's, I, that's I don't see too short back then. So here is the legend himself, Jerry Lee Lewis, Great Balls of Fire, released uh, November 11th, 1957 on Sun Records. Featured in 1957 movie Jamboree, considered one of the greatest rock and roll songs ever by Rolling Stone magazine. The song sold one million copies in the first 10 days alone, making it one of the biggest singles of all time in American history at that time. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain Too much of love drives a man insane You broke my will, but what a thrill Goodness gracious, great balls of fire I let you love what I thought it was funny You came along and moved me, honey I've changed my mind, this world is fine Great balls of fire Kisses the baby Feels good Hold me baby Well I to love you like I love a shit You're fine So kind Got to tell this world that you might, 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 might That you might nail down and I twitch on my thumb I'm real nervous but it's so it's fun Come on baby it's just great balls of fire. So as we were walking around, eventually we came to the Motown section. We asked Joe about the importance of vinyl. Uh, obviously, as we were recording this for Vinylthon, we had a brief discussion about that, which I thought was really illuminating. The tactile nature of it is why I think it it's never gone away. I mean, vinyl records now have been sort of the, on the market for 70 years, yeah. um, if you really, you know, yeah. do the math, um, at, at mass consumer levels. Mm. So, um, and it doesn't seem to be... <laughs> fading um you know you you can go to a lot of corners of towns like cleveland and find several record shops full but open um and and with a lot of cool people Mm -hmm. hanging out inside talking about it and sharing about it just like they've always have um and so that's fun and so yeah we've got really really cool ones on display here uh behind the glass um but it's also great to be able to walk into a bin and pull up what's going on from Marvin Gaye and be like, oh man, I, I've been looking for this one and it's a dollar, I'm taking it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those dollar bin finds. You feel the, the, the dimensionality of the music, of the performance, um, whether it is just from holding the record itself or if you've got the super high-tuned, high-fidelity setup, um, you know how to feel and, and, and engage with that. And obviously a big part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame specifically identifies how certain cities develop certain musical sounds and identities of their own. This section is focused on identifying different cities, right? I mean, you know, even in the logo of Motown is 
a 45 Motown record. Yeah. Um, so it definitely was a means to get a lot of content out. But I think, too, what's great about that time period is looking at then also a contemporary like King Records down in Cincinnati, where you have that end-to-end recording, writing, producing, pressing, distribution, all in one house, that certainly Barry Gordy did an incredible job of doing the same thing in a very similar city at a time where it was really feasible. Unfortunately, as we here in Cleveland and much of the Rust Belt know, uh, times changed and a lot of the population shifts and moves, but because they did such a good job of saturating the market when they had a huge, you know, center of it, they remained yeah. and remained well and, and very highly regarded by so many, both from the past and of today. Todd told me afterwards, Alan Freed, the famous DJ in Cleveland, Ohio, was the first person ever to use the phrase rock and roll on the air as a term to describe music. And of course that stuck and history was created. That's one of the reasons why the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is is where it is in Cleveland, because of that connection. But we did talk about Motown and that was a huge exhibit. If we had to pick a song from that era, we would have to play Marvin Gaye, Heard It Through the Grapevine, because it is legendary.
Now for me, if I had to pick just one song to play, my own personal request for this hour, it would have to be this, Aretha Franklin, Respect, the original and the best on vinyl. So you go through all these different eras, you go from the 40s, 50s, come to the 60s, and then you, you know, you come around the corner, you've already seen a lot at this point, and then suddenly before you are the Beatles. And I mean, it's not like you've forgotten about the Beatles existed, but suddenly when you see them, you realise, here they are, here come the Beatles. This is what happened chronologically. They they followed all of this. It's their turn, it was their time. So... When I turned around the corner and I saw their exhibit, I was particularly drawn to the grey suits that they wore very neatly when they were on television, 1963-64, looking very neat and tidy for the television audiences. So I wandered over to that window and Joe and Todd and Tim came over as well to look at the suits and to discuss them. It says John Lennon jacket, 1963. Three button collarless jackets. They wore them on stage in the fall of 1963. Also seen on the sleeve of the US single, I Want to Hold Your Hand and the back cover of Meet the Beatles. So it strikes me that it's quite, for rock and roll, of course, you know, it's very kind of distinguished, don't yes. you think, that, you know, for the time? It's very uniform, it's yeah, very distinguished. Yeah, yeah. It's also, for me, like all the outfits in this museum, 
amazing how much it brings it down to earth that these people are my size. Because all your life you've seen them bigger than life on television or yeah. film screens. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm only speaking for myself, but they actually look quite small, really, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm yeah. saying. They've, well, I mean, it's amazing that this amazing art form seems to be, they, they say the words rock and roll gods all the time, and yet yeah. they're rock and roll people. Yeah, well, and they were rock and roll young men. I mean, young they men. were in their yeah. 20s. Um, so... I think one thing that's maybe as a connector, you see these suits, and we think of rock and roll as not necessarily suit-driven, but this is directly, I think, a nod to the doo-wop era in those older times to where, uh, so even in the 60s, as we think of the 60s as being a big time of change, but here's a nod to the history right. of where they came from. And, and I suppose you, you have to be here to really appreciate going through these different exhibits and seeing the clothes that they wore, how much uh, fashion, and power yeah. is a part of this yeah. of music history. It was on the cover of that single, I Want to Hold Your Hand. The B-side was, when well, America, I saw her standing there, and in the UK it was This Boy, released in November 1963. And if you listen to the mono version of vinyl, at the time it was massive. <laughs> Just when you think you can't possibly see anything even more impressive, you see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's newest exhibition, The Beatles Get Back to Let It Be, which opened in March 2022. A groundbreaking exhibition featuring an immersive amount of memorabilia and video footage from Peter Jackson's documentary series, The Beatles Get Back. Now, seeing this footage on these huge screens in HD, the music draws you in. Seeing it on television at home, is not quite the same by, by any means. And actually, it brings the music to life in a way that is quite emotional. And this is all cut by uh, Sir Peter Jackson's team, um, and, or at least in collaboration with them. Um, so this is reimaginings of that footage applied to these spaces, and then as well as um, you'll see the uh, rooftop performance depicted in a, the final bay here. And when you see this footage on such massive screens in like HD mm -hmm. it brings it to life in a way that perhaps you know you would not you would not have been able to appreciate when you saw it at home on TV when you see it on such a huge screen it becomes even more immersive absolutely I mean in that last shot there you feel like you're sitting at the piano bench next to Paul McCartney right right it draws you in now at one point we saw footage of when Billy Preston was playing with the Beatles downstairs in the Apple Studios with, with them. And it was such a joyous segment of footage. And I was talking to Joe and Todd and Tim about this and how they seem to be so happy in this footage and that Billy Preston really added so much. And so we talked about that. You can see how they were... Uh, Billy Preston really added so much to these sessions. Yeah, It, it, it helped find that camaraderie that always makes collaborative work come out the best. Yeah. Um, and, and they were all very smart and very uh, established musicians by the time that they returned to this project. And they needed just that reminder of the camaraderie um, because certainly, uh, again, the, the business, which is really what we're also talking about, vinyl 
is the business. It was the means to actually convert this sound into something that could be invested in or invested from. Um, and it definitely can muddy the collaborative waters at times when you have agendas and budget lines to meet. And so this removed some of that or returned a lot of the art into the moments uh, that they were trying to strive for in this project. And uh, yeah, you see in the video here and certainly in the recordings that many people can hear, um, just smiles, a lot of joy, a lot of playfulness that comes through in the recordings. Right, which sort of counteracts the prevailing notion that there had been, that these were, I mean, there were certainly difficult moments, but certainly to characterize the entire sessions as being miserable and conflict-ridden, completely untrue because of, you know, what we're seeing, yeah. Let me just point out that when this uh, exhibit was introduced, I did a walking tour for my station locally and kind of went through this whole idea. And we are immersing ourselves in the film. The specific exhibit is really about the film, yep. capturing the moment you're talking about, which has a totally different narrative than most people believe at the end of the Beatles' career, right. and having that kind of experience. The, the idea of, like, I, I really wish everybody, before they saw the six hours on Disney Plus could have gone through this as its preview. Right. You eventually come to the footage of them performing on the rooftop at the end, and you kind of feel as if you're sort of there with them, because it's such a big screen, and you're surrounded by, uh, behind you, photos of the rooftop, the views from the rooftop, that you feel, well, Todd actually said that the first time he went there, he suffered from vertigo because he felt he was actually up on the rooftop with them, way up high. It's something uniquely European, I think, too, because when you, even at the time, look at a lot of the American cities, we went to skyscrapers so fast and so often um, that to do such a thing in a New York... Uh, they were not so high up mm -hmm. that the people couldn't hear them on the street, mm -hmm. on, the, on the road That's right. below, yeah. Because that's what cuts to at some point here. Uh, they start intersplicing in windows the on-the-street cameras of the the police showing up who are even go. younger than the go. Beatles <laughs> looking just as befuddled yeah, yeah. as the older generation yeah. and saying we must do something um, and they say I, I, we need to go upstairs and see what's going on um, and that's really kind of one of my favorite parts of, of this so exhibit sad. and of this footage is, is that, that on the street experience that a lot of people had no idea what they were witnessing or those that did you know probably still didn't even understand how they were so lucky to be in those places at that right. day but yeah i love the the, the very because again this none of this was the plan to do this on a, on top of a roof so the very uh you know quickly assembled scaffoldings and using you know a different it looks like you know using nylons for wind socks around mm -hmm. microphones yep. because they didn't buy the microphone wind socks because they yeah. had to just kind of organize this all uh, in a real short order. And so it just feels fitting to take from that legendary rooftop concert performance their second take of I've Got a Feeling, which again captures quite well this incredibly historic musical moment.
So leaving the Get Back to Let It Be exhibition, which was really a highlight, we then came round the corner to the next exhibit space, which was I, well, I immediately saw Def Leppard, Elton John, uh, Metallica, and we thought, well, we're in a very special place now that Joe explained. This is the Legends of Rock exhibit. So this is a space where we really, we cover a lot of opportunity to display artists from all of the different music styles and decades and eras that we celebrate here at the Rock Hall. And so... We have in here everyone from the Shirelles and the OJs to Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, David Bowie and Shaka Khan. Um, Prince represented in here and Elton John and, and artists that take us well into the 80s, 90s. Um, so, so I imagine obviously you have people coming, visitors coming, and there will be a particular artist or artists that really resonate with them. Mm -hmm. And they'll be coming obviously to, to experience the whole thing. but. Have you seen the emotional impact of what it's like for some fans to come and they see it kind of in front of them? It happens every day, all day here. I see it every day I'm here and, and with everyone that comes through because it is as we've been talking about, this moment that 
something that's always been in some ways invisible or intangible Mm -hmm. is now the opposite of those things. It's very visible, not quite tangible um, in some regards. Uh, We want to make sure we protect a lot of these artifacts. Um, But even then, we have uh, experiences here at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like the Interactive Garage, where we have real Gibson Les Pauls. We have real uh, Fender Telecasters for you to pick up and play for the first time. We have some real drum kits that you can just sit down and start banging away on and start to figure out um, what it would feel like if you're not somebody who's already done it or practiced, um, but have always been curious, uh, we have that opportunity to get that tactile experience and then still see, yeah, double neck guitars from Def Leppard and acoustic guitars. Bruce Springsteen's electric guitar. Yep. Years. So you have, yeah, just a really broad opportunity to engage with people in that way and everybody finds something. And you know, we did see Elton John, and we thought to ourselves, well, we have to include Elton John, surely, but what song would we include? And perhaps not an obvious one, but a brilliant one nonetheless, Tiny Dancer.
almost out of time because they were about to open the doors and people were about to flood in. And so the last thing we saw on our brief tour was the Rapper's Delight exhibit. This is our Rapper's Delight exhibit that focuses on the story of hip-hop, uh, a critical part of rock and roll's history um, because it identifies a time, especially when we're talking about vinyl as a medium and a means to get music to the masses. Um, that is what really happened. That's what we're celebrating this year in 2023 is the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. It's really the 50th anniversary of that summer in 1973 where in various parts of the Bronx massive community engagement was occurring around music. People bringing huge sound systems out into the streets, putting out the turntable one and turntable two and putting on a lot of great vinyl records from 45s to long plays and everything in between just to get a party going and get everybody 
that was going through challenging times due to economic strife, political strife, right. um, and and giving them a reason to stay together as a community, though, in spite of many of those larger forces that were acting upon them. So let's take a classic LL Cool J song, Mama Said Knock You Up from 1990 on vinyl, and let's hear that in our homage to the rapper's delight. Exhibit. Come on, man.
of course after that we walk through the rest of the hall there's multiple floors uh, don't forget to attend the pink floyd i think on floor number four is the wall exhibit and then of course on floor number three is the actual hall of fame which is very impressive in itself but after that it was lunchtime and uh, todd bravely stopped a couple and asked them about their opinions and thoughts about what they'd seen so far at the rock hall please forgive me for the interruption that's, that's okay. okay we're producing the syndicated radio show for vinyl Thon. Okay. which starts at the college level where every station plays vinyl source okay. material for the weekend just okay. to celebrate vinyl, really. Okay, right. But we produced it here this year, and I was hoping I could ask you about your experience going to see the Beatles exhibit. Um, as far as the, the Beatles exhibit, um, we, lo we loved the show that they had on, on the video in there. Um, it was just, you know, overwhelming. I didn't know what to go to first, you know. <laughs> it really was. I mean, we spent the most time, obviously, uh, in the Beatles exhibit there. Not a visual medium, but you yeah. guys are perfect in your matching Beatles Abbey yeah. Road t-shirts. I think it's fantastic. It certainly made me go, did you uh, see the exhibit downstairs? <laughs> yes. And I, and I would imagine by us wearing these shirts, you would know what our favorite Beatle album was. I don't know. Abbey, Abbey Road. Abbey Road. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> How about you, man? How was, what was your favorite uh, part I, of the episode? I think it's very interesting to see everything in person. Sure. The instruments as well as the costumes. Mm -hmm. Because when you see it on TV, like, there's a certain genre that you get, but you get the whole feel when you see it right. real. That's that visceral thing. That, you know, yes. My thing was always like, I can't believe they were that small. <laughs> yes. They're always bigger than life on the movie yes. screens, right? Absolutely. And now they're, they, they're Absolutely. my height. Absolutely. But the moment we got in there, I was dancing and moving around. Like, I don't sit still anyway, but it was right. just, it's my thing. <laughs> on, the way, on the way home, Beatles music in the car? Uh, yes, but then we're also going to be playing some uh, Bruce Springsteen because we're going to see him in August. I appreciate your time. All right, thank, thank you so thank you. much. Nice meeting you. Nice I'm going to tell my son about this. He'll That's probably cool. be really interested. It was great that they confirmed that they felt the same way that we did about what they had also experienced. And before we close this hour, we still have some time for some great music. Let's go back to 1984, one of the biggest songs of that year. Tina Turner, What's Love Got to Do With It? There's a name for it. There's a 
come back in the second hour of this very special show we have a brilliant interview with someone who i call a musical genius a historian a professor a phd and a good bloke more than anything jason hanley that's coming up in the second hour especially for vinylthon 2023 you are listening to vinylthon somebody say yeah vinylthon say it again say yeah vinylthon somebody say yeah for the rock and roll hall of fame because in vinyl we trust from our state-of-the-art studios, high atop the Genesee Community College, this is 90.7, The Music FM. Genesee has helped show me that you can really achieve whatever you want as long as you're working hard and you're using your resources and networking the way you should be. GCC has opened so many doors for me, and it gave me so many opportunities for my future, and it gave me the experience I need for what I want to do in life. I have learned to become a leader here at GCC. SUNY GCC, our true blue past, your golden future. Well, the diversity actually makes you sort of understand how people work and how they think a little bit better. I was able to go to China with the Discover China in a study abroad over winter break, which was an amazing experience. And now everything is going great thanks to GCC. Um, I'm at a high point in my life and, and GCC helped me get there. With seven campus centers and online learning, find out why Genesee is your next choice. For more information, log online to genesee.edu. Mr. Booz. You've seen how Peter Griffin drives. Don't be Peter Griffin. Don't drink and drive. Don't mess around with Mr. Booze. 
This public service announcement is made possible by WGCC. is back to basics. Serious rock and roll with no commercial interruptions. That means more music, and that's what radio is all about. Radio dials all over western New York are finding the new sounds of 90.7 FM WGCC. Hello, Cleveland! This is Vinylthon. Rock on! All vinyl, all day. Oh, man, thank you! Because when the needle drops, the power rises. Thank you, I love it! Welcome to the Vinylthon two-hour radio special, recorded at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio, the birthplace of rock and roll. This radio special is a celebration of music and a unique opportunity to learn more about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's work in preserving and presenting music history. Welcome to Vinylthon 2023. You are listening to Vinylthon. 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 Because in vinyl, we trust. here with everyone. It lets you listen to music with more people in the room than just yourself. It's just a great thing to be able to do in your spare time. It just allows you to be more appreciative of what you have in front of you. The celebration of Vinyl on the Air is now two days, April 22nd and 23rd. It's our first ever weekend event when radio stations across the country and around the world go all vinyl up to 48 hours. Vinylthon is also for a good cause. Raising money for student scholarships for those who want to work in radio after graduation. The future broadcasters of tomorrow. So get ready for the needle to hit the groove. April 22nd and 23rd. For more information, please visit vinylthon.com. Welcome to the second hour of our 2023 Vinylthon radio special, recorded at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We were honored to be invited into the studio at the Rock Hall to interview Jason Hanley, Vice President of Education and Visitor Engagement. This was our opportunity to ask all the questions that we'd always wanted to ask about the Rock Hall. You are listening to Vinylthon. So here we are. We are actually in the SiriusXM studio here, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Quite a sense of uh, magic in the air for all the exhibits. And we're here with Jason. Let's go way back to the beginning of your story and your association with the Rock Hall. When did it begin for you? How did you get involved? 
Well, I've been here at the museum for over 18 years now. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was pretty exciting. Like, I had never really thought in my life that I was going to end up working at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, I had always been a musician. And originally, when I had gone to college, I had gone for computer science. I was really interested. This was back in the 80s. So I went to uh, the University of Albany in New York, where they had a VAX mainframe computer, wow. because that's what you wanted to right, learn how to right. program on. And interestingly enough, I had been a hobbyist musician. And while I was there, I took a course with a gentleman named Joel Chatterby. And I didn't know it at the time, but it turns out Joel was one of the innovators of computer electronic music. And I really got fascinated with the whole idea of, of thinking of music more seriously, of composing, of learning about the history. I ended up uh, leaving Albany after a while and going to a community college and then eventually finding myself at Stony Brook University in New York. And that's where I really got obsessed with the history of music and, you know, went into a undergraduate program in performance and music history, finished that and ended up going back for a master's degree in musicology or music history. And, you know, they have you study everything, right? right, you're, right. you're doing Bach and Gregorian chant Ooh. all the way up to <laughs> jazz and rock and roll. But I had actually done part of my master's thesis on um, bands like Kraftwerk and Ministry. Right. Then I had ended up playing in bands for a while. I had an independent record label in New York called Transmission Records. You know, I was in vans up and down the East Coast and, you know, doing that sort of thing. You were living the dream. Living friend. the dream. Yep, that's yep. exactly right. Eating that's White right. Castle at, you know, 2 a.m. <laughs> right, right. Is there any better time? <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and then I decided uh, to go back to school. Uh, and pursue a PhD in musicology because it was something I was really passionate about. I should also mention I had been teaching as an adjunct professor at Hofstra University in New York, mm -hmm. where I met an, another sort of mentor of mine, Herbert Deutsch, um, who unfortunately just passed away in the last year, who turns out is the co-inventor of the Moog synthesizer. Oh, jeez. Um, hmm. So I had kind of had this lucky moment where I kept running into people who were really fantastic. At Stony Brook, my advisor was Judy Lockhead, one of the great uh, theorists, and um, Peter Winkler, who was a gentleman who had started some of the earliest popular music studies in the United States. So I was looking around at different schools and ended up back at Stony Brook as they offered me a great deal to not only do a PhD in musicology, but my PhD dissertation could be on rock and roll. And sure enough, I did it on industrial rock. Awesome. So I studied everything from Ministry and Skinny Puppy and Front 242 to the roots in Throbbing Gristle and Einstützende Neubauten out of Germany um, <laughs> oh and Kraftwerk and Neu and all these great bands. So then I was sort of finishing my dissertation there, teaching still at Hofstra University, playing in bands and doing things like that. And I saw this job posting, and this is, you know, over 18 years ago. Yeah. So it's on a list serve, right? You know, where you get emailed, <laughs> like, here's yep. all yeah, the jobs, yeah, right? Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the internet wasn't quite there yet, right? And uh, it says, these are usually college jobs, and that's what I'm applying for, to be a college professor. And I see one that says, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I said, this is bizarre. Why is this on here? It said, looking for three things. They were looking for someone who uh, was an educator who loved working with people of all ages. And I thought, well, that's me. I love working with anything from you know, kids to adults, college students. They were looking for someone who knew the music industry and had practice in that. Well, I had owned a record label, worked at Sam Ash, you know, taught at schools and, right. and played in bands, recorded records. And then the last thing they were looking for was this idea to come in and completely rethink the education programs. They were looking for a scholar who had the knowledge to think, what could the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame do? 
And I was like, this is a bizarre job. And I, I brought it home and showed it to my wife. And she goes, did you apply already? And I said, no, well, remember, I'm going to try and be a college professor. She's like, this job is all the things you've been doing that I kept telling you we didn't know how it was going to fit right. together <laughs> or how any of this yeah, was yeah, going to yeah. matter, right? Because <laughs> And um, called up the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They just so happened that the current vice president uh, was coming to New York in the following week, had coffee with him uh, in Union Square, came to Cleveland the next week, and then within a month was moving my family here to work at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I tell that long story just because it's like this this is what music is to me, right? It's all these things. It's performing. It's studying. It's uh, meeting people. And it's the incredible history. And it's just been an an unbelievable opportunity for me here to not only help run the education programs, but I keep getting my education by interviewing the inductees and the artists and working with people who come through this museum. Wow. I, I just want to point out that, you know, as, as someone who's seen this whole process since the building was literally broke ground. Right. That when the when Jason was coming here, the building was about 10 years in. Yep, that's right. It had and, just started to reach its 10-year anniversary. And it was still come and see the stuff. For a long time. Oh. And and I say this as, as a supporter of said organization, that a lot of the people like myself had started to ask for time to do everything from a Halloween party on the on the, <laughs> right. on the site to what I really loved was the uh, once a year vault visit. So we got to go in the back storage before the offsite storage was uh, its own building here in uh, Cleveland. But they would, you know, basically put your hands behind your back, walk along the side, and they'd open up the drawer of what mm. was on display. So as close as I am to you right now, Rob, is John Lennon's uniform from Sgt. Pepper. Right. You just want to cry. And that interaction with the fanzine is exactly what started to build mm. when, when they brought people like Jason in. And it changed this place. Yes, it's the big show. It's on TV. It's whatever. Education about the art form is is right there that is the primary engine of this whole thing if i may be so bold yes to speak thank in you front of your terms. all right <laughs> and and I, it it heartens me when the eyes light up and people realize that's what it's about well let me ask you jason so and this is an impossible question but you would have been present then when exhibits well you know things would have come in and you would have seen these things you know important historical artifacts in the history of rock and roll music mm -hmm. are there any particular moments any memories or any items that personally will stand out moments for you in thinking i can't believe that we're going to get to display this here yeah, I mean, there's something amazing about that. You know, you could call it unboxing, right? Where it unboxing. shows up in a crate, exactly. right? Yeah. Um, and then the, the curators are, you know, very careful with everything, right? I mean, we have an incredible team of curators who also are thinking about preservation of all these artifacts. Right. And, you know, I always joke, the funny thing is it's if it's your guitar, you're holding it one moment, and then when it comes into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as an artifact – now it's white gloves and curators and then, you know, a, a particularly air-controlled room with right, the right, right humidity yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that. You know, because we really want to make sure these things are preserved and taken care of. But you're right. That moment of occasionally I'll get to go back into that vault area Todd was describing. And you see them preparing something to go on exhibit. And you're like, ooh, what's that? And they're like, 
that's Stevie Ray Vaughan's number one guitar that's going to go out on display, you know? And that one had been hand-delivered by Jimmy Vaughan, actually. Wow. And for me, you know, that that guitar, you know, with the SRV on it, right? right I mean, right. that is like a classic instrument or, quite frankly, Jimi Hendrix guitar. Mm-hmm. I'm a big electronic music guy, so we had a bunch of Depeche Mode synthesizers. I was like, <laughs> so that's, you know, that's Martin Gore's Moog right. synthesizer? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's incredible, right? And these things are so cool because anything at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's not like I hand you a guitar and, you know, you strum a few chords and sign it and we pop it up on the wall. The instruments, the costumes, the handwritten lyrics, the contracts, anything we have here is integral to the creation of this art form. So this is, you know, the guitar Steve Ray Vaughan played a hundred shows on, a thousand shows on, right? Right, right. This is the instrument John Lennon recorded Let It Be With, and that's out there right now yep, in right, the exhibit. Yeah. There must be times when it's overtly emotional. Absolutely. And it's emotional for me. I mean, there are times where, you know, you, you feel the, the hair stand up on your arm, and it's emotional for visitors. It's, it's honestly, right. when people ask me one of my favorite parts of the job is watching other people get emotional. And that can be anything from seeing an exhibit that relates to, you know, an artist they love, but often it's the connections between the people. So you might get, you know, a couple out there who remember this is the artist or the song that played at their, you know, wedding on the road trip they took when they first met. This is the song that our kids used to listen to all the time or remember grandma, she used to listen to that. And and then you hear the stories people tell each other, you know, do you remember when we saw that show? That's yeah. that's the costume. That's the that's stage right. outfit from that. Those are the moments. And it happens between generations. What I love about the main exhibit hall is you start with sort of the history and you end with an exhibit called Right Here, Right Now, which is today. So suddenly now, you know, the mom or dad or the grandparent or, you know, the elder person in the trip who's been talking about Elvis and Wanda Jackson and Aretha Franklin. Now the kids are talking about Jimmy Allen and Taylor Swift and, you know, MGK and artists like that. So rock and roll is an art form that's still evolving right now. And that's what makes this place always so vibrant. Yeah, I think it's the uh, it's always changing, always evolving. And that connection that we don't necessarily when we hear the music, it's almost a personal thing. And then when we come to a place like this or we meet with a group of people that maybe we don't know, it becomes something larger and becomes community and it takes on a a deeper dimension. And I'm sure you see that a lot as that happens here. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, some of those connections between people and music is the most powerful thing, right? I mean, full disclosure, Todd and I have been to many shows together here in Cleveland. And, uh, you know, we often (laughs) joke about, you know. I'm actually scrolling through them right now as he's talking like, gosh, this is a great narrative. I hope we have a recording of this. (laughs) You know, some of those great shows you and I have been to, we we remember those, right? Oh, yeah. We think about it. And I'll tell you, I think for me, some of the more emotional moments for me personally is, is when I actually get a chance to tour inductees. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a good example when the Moody Blues got inducted. Oh, wow. wow. Um, you know, they had been eligible for a long time to get inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and had not been on the ballot. They got on the ballot and inducted that first year. When they came here, the guys couldn't have been nicer. We did an interview on the main stage here in the museum as part mm-hmm. of our induction week. They toured around and we always take the new inductees up to the third floor, which is our Hall of Fame. And that's where you can walk through and see the signatures of every person from, you know, Ray Charles up to the Foo Fighters, right? And um, there's a big photo right there at the beginning, the first thing you see at the Hall of Fame floor, which is Chuck Berry, who was yeah. the very first inductee yeah. of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
And we get up there with uh, the Moody Blues guys, you know, Justin and, and John Lodge and Graham. And they see that Chuck Berry photo and you can, you can tell they kind of stop for a second, right? And they're like, we love Chuck Berry. Oh. This was the guy who was one of our idols. Like we, we thought about him all the time. And then they start looking at the names. By the time we got to where their plaque was going, they were almost in tears. And it was because they were thinking, how are we getting on this wall, right? right? Like, how are we joining this group of inductees? So for me, that's the museum instantly even humanizes these rock stars because suddenly Justin Hayward wasn't the rock superstar. Mm-hmm. He was a guy who loved rock, loves rock and roll with every yeah. fiber of his being. And for him, he was a fan in that moment, you know? This was 2018. That was the class. And the induction process uh, here in Cleveland is is shot and ends up on TV out of order. They edit to fit the time and, and, and whatnot. So the Moody Blues were the last act yes. to play, but the first act you saw on TV. And Ann Wilson of Heart inducted the Moody Blues, explained why, which was a beautiful story. Again, yeah. her personal relationship with their music at the time it came out in her life, reflecting upon it on the stage in front of an audience of rock and roll fans. And the best part of my night was I'd never seen the Moody Blues live. I barely knew any Moody Blues music. They won the night. I mean, Bon Jovi was there that night and a whole bunch of other people, great, great musicians. They all did wonderfully. No one even saw it coming. It was almost like an afterthought. And the Moody Blues won the night and it was magic. And again, okay, the art form is preserved here in Cleveland. And now that the Rock Hall is, we're almost a 30 years yeah, right? coming, up on it. coming up on 30 years since we opened. So we're 28 this year. Oh. Um, I said we. Huh. Um, <laughs> You've been here so long, Todd. It's coming true. as a uh, <laughs> as a member and I supporter. Lovingly, right? please, yes. don't, please don't take it the wrong way. And it's, it's so cool in that regard. And I remember the time, and Jason was there, and I think uh, one of the curators, Amanda, was there. And I said, guys, can you tell me what the point was where you realized that every day you're walking in here and you're making history as well as preserving it? Because you have Shaka Khan show up for her 70th birthday. Yeah, just a few okay. weeks ago. I mean, that's a historical moment now documented. Yeah. <laughs> well, th- that's a great point, right? I yeah. mean, uh, everything we're doing, too, when we interview artists, when we create educational materials, because we have an incredible education program, both on site for students and online, that's free. All of these historic events, you know, we're, we're doing these interviews to kind of get people's perspective and capture that. And that is the key. Like, we are trying to tell that story here. And it's a, it's a story that has an incredible history to it. It's a history not just about the music, but about American society and how rock and roll is born from a mix of gospel and blues and R&B and country, and then how it travels out around the world, right? It comes back to the United States and re-influences people and goes back out around the world. And that that story is the one we're trying to tell people and, and help them contextualize the music they love into the bigger picture of, of where rock and roll came from and where it's going. I think that that's, a, that's an important point. And so my question to you would be, uh, what would you tell a crop of, say, college students, right, to challenge them to understand the importance of studying here at the Rock Hall or just pop music or rock and roll in general and how that contextualizes and creates culture, right, and it um, continues to create history? How would you um, validate maybe an academic study 
of those kind of things. Yeah, it's interesting. We have a really great collaboration with a number of universities and colleges here in Cleveland, from Baldwin-Wallace to Case Western Reserve University, the local community college, which is Cuyahoga Community College, Cleveland State University. And we actually teach a rock and roll history course here for the local community college. I always say it's the coolest rock and roll history course, (laughs) Man, not just because we're teaching it, but because you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame every day. And that exact sort of thing you were talking about there, Tim, is what we try and do in the class. Like, get them to understand this music, some of which they know. And let's face it, you know, you can play a, for me, an incredibly moving Bob Dylan song from 19, you know, 66 and to the students it might as well be ancient it's like abraham lincoln or bach right yeah i mean it's like a million years ago right right? right. and you show you know bob dylan at newport folk festival it's like grainy you know and i mean it looks great but it's black and white it seems they're asking what kind of filter you put on exactly right right so what we try and do is when we teach rock and roll we teach that it is always connected to the culture it comes from. Oh, man. It is yes. either part of a voice about what is happening, right? And that can be something as as large as artists in the civil rights era, you know, Aretha Franklin, the OJs, you know, writing an album like Ship Ahoy, mm. you know, these records that really dramatically talk about what's happening. It can be artists talking about, you think about right now after we're coming out of this era of the pandemic, huh. and there's so many songs out there now about, you know, emotion and dealing with depression and loneliness and things that we all probably experienced over the last two or three years. Rock and roll reflects culture like that. So when you teach it, you have to explain that, right? Right. We even teach punk rock and we say, oh, well, it starts in New York City with the Ramones, you know, and all these great bands at CBGBs. And at that time, it's not a political action punk rock. It's more of like a post-Vietnam era, what the hell's going on? (laughs) Like, we're bored, we're hanging out in the Bowery in New York City. But then the Ramones play England, and then suddenly you have the Sex Pistols and the Clash and the Mm. Damned and bands that start taking these uh, messages of political activism that tie to the class system in England, right? Like, you're not going to get a job and move up in, in, in society at that time. And that's sort of the, you know punk rock's plight in the beginning. So we talk about these things. This is why this stuff happens. Yes, and at some point you get pop punk. And that's, you know, maybe less dramatic but fun expression of angst, right, from L.A. at some point. But, um, you know, hip-hop is the same way, right? It's talking about, you know, living conditions. There was Chuck D., one of our inductees from Public Enemy, just did a great PBS series, if you haven't seen it, Mm -hmm. um, called Fight the Power based on the song about um, the history of hip hop. And it's just fantastic to look at that and how, again, he reflects how artists are responding to cultural conditions. Right. Uh, we are here, obviously, because of Vinylthon. We have stations, radio stations around the world uh, going um, all vinyl for 24 hours, 48 hours. In fact, if they do 24 hours, they win the Golden Slip Mat Award. Uh, literally, a pair of golden slip mats that we That is uh, awesome. Uh, so, they, so, so, a lot of stations get very excited about that. As we've been walking through, we've noticed, obviously, we, we saw from the early days, Sun Records, these 10-inch records. Yeah. Talk about, uh, Jason, if you don't mind, the, the, the continuing impact of vinyl records. Are you surprised because they did sort of go away and then they came back, major resurgence, and now it looks like they're really back to stay again. Can you talk a little bit about the history and the continuing impact of vinyl records? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously, having grown up in the vinyl era originally, right, and... Um, 
remembering my early Beatles and Johnny Cash and Elvis records that I had. You know, there's something amazing about vinyl, and and Todd knows this. No, here I'm a a big prog rock fan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, opening up the gatefold of of Yes Close to the Edge (laughs) and putting, (laughs) pulling the vinyl out and putting it on, right? Just something magical about that moment. Can I cite the promo? There's something about it. The anticipation. <laughs> well, well, hang on. Hang on. I, sorry to interrupt, but I have to. So, yes. prog rock fan, you would know, you would have heard of a band called Marillion. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> everyone else in the room, does everyone they, realize he's a Marillion would, fan? Would okay. they ever be a nominee? Maybe, right? I don't know. Uh, you know that's the correct We answer. just went, to, Maybe. It's, well, that's the thing. And it's possible. <laughs> yes. And, and the whole idea of getting inducted, and I'll get back to vinyl in a second, is your sort of musical excellence, right? So obviously Marillion has that, right? Right. It's your impact on music, how many other musicians cite you as an influence or talk about you or what your impact there was, and its impact globally. And it could be anything from, again, as we talked about, um, social justice or raising awareness or connecting out to, you know, different cultural movements around the world. And again, no group is ever kind of locked out. That's the one thing right. about it. You don't you don't age out, so to speak, like you might in other halls of fame. But, but the reason I mentioned them because I was testing your prog rock bona fides there. Oh, yeah. You passed with flying colors. <laughs> but but going go back to those, um, um, was it, who's the artist? Was Roger Dean who did the Yes cover? Oh, yes, so, that's it. So, Amazing, so, so right? you're talking about the, the physical, tactile, yeah. the artwork and everything like that? I don't know. I think for me, for me personally, that's the connection I have when I listen to vinyl or take my vinyl out, you know, listen to records, because I still call them records. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is accurate. That's right. There's something, the physicality of right. the sleeve and the, the, the weight of the vinyl, that to me, and look, I'm not going to lie. I had eight tracks. I had cassette yep. tapes. Yeah, yeah. And the, the amazing about, yeah, thing yeah. about cassettes in the 80s was the portability. Yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah. had I had an actual Sony Walkman. Yep. And the fact yeah. that I, at that point, used to do what most of us probably did was had blank cassette tapes and put made mixes of my records right, onto right. that to take around. Yeah. I think nowadays, because I talk about this often, music is so accessible, whether it's radio or streaming or listening at home, you know, you can ask your uh, mobile devices to play almost anything right. in the catalog. So the accessibility is so much different than when I used to, you know, I joked about a band named Einstrutzene Neubauten earlier from Germany. I spent years literally going to Germany to try and hunt down some of these records that I was trying to write about because I had heard other people talk about them, but I had never heard them. Now you just type in YouTube and there it is. So I think that's why there's maybe this return to vinyl and records as something special because there's this sort of physicalness of holding it and connecting to the music. I think it's also, uh, it's an intentional act. You know, yes. a lot of us, we use music as a background. Right. It's the soundtrack of our lives. And so we move through music. Whereas when you take a record, you put it intentionally on something and you yes. know in 18 to 22 minutes, <laughs> right. you're going to have to turn it over right. or something else. And well, so you're, you're more yeah, but interacting then, uh, the, the, But it's it. not just that. Then now I think the, the students that I talk about, they talk about the artwork, they talk about yeah. the splatter designs and the multicolored, you know, the variants and stuff. And there is a sense of collectability that's back, right? And the sure. collectors. So yeah. the, the students recognize they're holding something of value uh, and I'm not knocking streaming because it's super accessible, mm-hmm. but also... There was that sense that you are more invested in an artist right. if you buy the physical. Right. Yes. Right. Well, it's funny you think too. Think about social media. How many people, and I've done it, 
you're listening to a record now and you post your social media pic and it's your your vinyl next to your turntable, right? Nobody puts their phone on a table and takes a picture of the phone with another phone and posts that, like, right. streaming yeah. this right now. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. that's not a thing. And you do that with the record because, again, as you just said, there's something special about it right i feel seen and, and right speaking now. and speaking of that that uh the directness of it all the actual choice you know we we actually do say we choose to play we hit play mm. you know we are playing the record almost i don't want i don't mean to make this a, a hip-hop reference but maybe that's a good way to go we choose to play this instrument to create this music in a space mm. and have our moment of a memory and at the same time putting it up there and putting it you know, I, I, when streaming started to be a thing and I realized that you were lo actually even choosing to be a part of it, you still lost control because I, the, the phrase used to be, I just listened to blank song through blank provider and it would automatically put, you could post it to Facebook. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't even like your choice to put it up there. It, it, it kind of like appeared with that prefab sentence and i used to make fun of it i'd like i chose to listen to blank <laughs> album on cd because i hit the play button and i would write all that up in facebook just be like because i chose to do it it's well, having that event that, that's interesting too because you're making me think about like what was i listening to i was listening to billy joel glass houses the other day oh, wow. sweet sweet record great album right yeah. i was thinking to myself like i was listening to the whole album i thought man i just love every song on here and i thought to my it kind of clicked in my brain i was like if this album had come out on streaming, you would be more tempted to just hit next on maybe a certain song or skip over it. Where with vinyl, because like you said, Tim, right about like going and putting it on and right. you know listening to it, you tended to sit back and you listen to every song and you let it go, right? And plus, let's face it, back in the day, because you were buying just a couple of records, it was like I paid you know five ninety nine for this record. I am gonna listen <laughs> to the heck out of this That's thing. Right. What I would do to track. pay five ninety nine for a record right now. <laughs> so we're coming to the end of our time. So let's do a bit of a quick fire, if that's all right, Jason. The uh, rapid fire round. So do you remember the first album you ever bought? Yeah, I don't entirely clearly because my parents bought me a lot of records. Right. I always talk about Candio by the Cars is one of the ones that sticks out for me as like oh, one of the sweet. first ones I remember on. going and putting money down on the table and buying myself. Okay. Um, what was uh, in your collection? What would you say is the most coveted, most precious album that you have? Ooh. <laughs> go ahead, Todd. No, I was going to answer. Go ahead. For yeah. Him. Let me no, think for a second. Yeah, Todd, okay. go. Let's I was going to answer for him. I mean, we've had these discussions. Oh, a lot. He might know. What, what, um, what do you think? Oh, geez. Well, I, I know the one that comes up most recently, and, and it is, it's a joke between us privately, but I, I bugged him for, for weeks to buy the, uh, uh, the union tour box oh, set gosh, for yes. yes. And I not really ever thinking he was going to buy it and he bought it. <laughs> right. I, so now I'm like, I did not want to, I, I will tell you, I think one of the most coveted pieces of vinyl I have, and this is a, this is a collector story. And I know this is the rapid fire round. So I'll make it quick. Yep. Back in the day, I used to do a lot more record digging than I do now. And every city I go to, I still try and find a record store and look around. And I had, this was probably 20 years ago. I was in Nashville and looking at a couple of record stores. And I found this whole section in this bin of records by Yellow Magic Orchestra, YMO, and Ruichi Sakamoto, who just wow. passed recently. Right. One of my all-time favorite musicians. Mm -hmm. And I realized not only are these YMO and Ruichi Sakamoto records 
they're the original Japanese pressings. Oh, wow. And they're a dollar a piece because no nobody way. in Nashville knew oh, what the hell they were. <laughs> and so now I have all eight of those, which I then at that time got and stuffed in my luggage to bring home. That's awesome. Um, and those are really cool, right? Because those are yeah. Japanese original pressings that I was not going to find anywhere back then. You know, now again, many of those original versions are available on, you know, streaming services, Spotify, YouTube. But I have those records, and it's pretty darn cool. Name what you would say is a criminally underrated album. Ooh, that's a good one. While she's thinking, Todd, go ahead. What would you say? Huh? Oh, well, it was a hit record, but uh, it, it, and it relates to, to you and I, because it's one of the first records you and I listened to, but that's uh, Winwood's Back in the High Life. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I yeah, think Tim, yeah, the, yeah. people know four songs from that record, and the other four songs are equal to, if not immensely important. So, Jason, do you have enough time to think? I don't know. That's a hard one because yeah. I think my taste is so eclectic. There's so many different things that I listen to. You know, I'll give you another example of an artist I love that I just think people don't talk about enough, and that's uh, the band Japan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they didn't make a lot of albums, but each one of those, you know, what do they have, five official albums or something like that? Each one of those is just so cool, and it's it's like they had mixed up, Roxy music with early punk. And, you know, those records to me, that's where you get Duran Duran from. It's bands like Japan, right? Yeah, right. Um, in fact, I think uh, Simon or one of the guys when they got inducted just a mm -hmm. year or two ago called out Japan in their induction speech. So I would say those those maybe early records by Japan are ones for me that I love that very few people, like if I say that and someone gives me the nod, I'm like, okay, we're going to be friends. Yeah. <laughs> when you enter a record store, a record shop, which section do you head for first? Mm. So for me, it's probably the electronic and uh, sort of like out there. There used to be a great store in New York City, um, downtown, right across from the massive Tower Records called Other Music. In fact, I think they made a film about it a couple of years ago. And I used to shop there all the time because <laughs> oh they gosh. would have a whole section just on like Krautrock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and that for me, like, because I'm looking for things that I can't find anywhere else. Right. Or something that's going to be new or like, okay, here's this whole section. I know all these bands and ooh, what's the, I have now, I don't know what this is. Huh. Okay, great. I'm going to pick this one up and let's give that a shot and see what it is. And I'm like that even on, you know, my phone was streaming. Like if somebody, it's hard to stump me. I guess I've been made like a career out of knowing as much music as I can. But if you name something I don't know and I sit, you see me sit there and put it on my phone, I guarantee you I actually go home and listen to all that because I'm just trying to always hear new sounds and new music and think about how that connects to the things I already know. Um, and final question is, and I don't know whether you know this, I'm putting you on the spot. Okay. Uh, we've been walking through the Rock Hall. We've seen a lot of vinyl records, some very, very rare, rare ones. Some what 78s would you, in that. What mm -hmm. would you say would be the, the most valuable record you have in the Rock Hall? I don't know what the actual most valuable one is. There's there's some that are in our collection in the library and archive that are not on display right now because we're redoing our kind of pioneers gallery. If you went out and saw, there's a mm -hmm. updated brand new Elvis exhibit, new mm -hmm. Chuck Berry, new Wanda Jackson. We're putting in, that's opening very shortly, an updated Sun Records. And we have some of those like original Sun Records. We have some of the very original Atlantic Records, specialty records. Like for me... You know, those early rock and roll albums, you know, the 45s or the early albums, that stuff is just amazing. And one of our former CEOs, Terry Stewart, was a massive record collector. And what I loved about Terry is whenever you go over his house, he will play you 
some of those records. Um, and his thing is like, yes, I'm collecting them. Yes, I'm being very careful. But they're records. They, mm, their they essence to yep. is to be heard yes. and to be played. Yes. So even if he's got, you know, a Winoni Harris record, <laughs> you know, that's uh, one of these original, you're like, ooh. You want to hear it? Yeah, I want to hear it. (laughs) We'll put it on and listen to it very carefully on the on the turntable. But for me, that those old records, just because again, that what we talked about with vinyl, the currency of those, the fact that records like that are what made their way over the Atlantic, and that's what you know, Keith Richards and and Mick Jagger were were carrying under their arm when they meet at that train station on that fateful day. They decide to form a band, and it comes back to the U.S. And they take it and remix it, yep. and then it goes back. And it's... Well, that was my PhD. My PhD was on the British Invasion. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, amazing story, right? I mean, how, you know, I always talk about, uh, there's a great author named Elijah Wald, who actually talks a little bit about how Robert Johnson in the blues canon was like not super well-known, important, right? He doesn't record a ton, but it's the fact that, you know, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, <laughs> you know, uh, all of these, you know, Keith Richards are obsessed with him and learn how to play their style of rock and roll and blues from listening to it that that completely elevates someone like Robert Johnson to the next stratosphere, right? Yeah. I wanted to just get in here because we are coming on to the end of our time. Yep. Jason, you got to tell everybody what's coming up here. There's there's big things happening in the next, well, right right away, the, the fan vote's going to come to the end for the class of 23. That's right. And Ending very soon, actually in, the, in like a week or so here, and then... We'll announce who's going to get inducted this year in 2023. We'll have another new class. And it's the last couple of years have been incredibly exciting yeah. with artists. We have uh, every year a great inductee exhibit here in the museum. So you can still see the people who got inducted in November of last year in 2022 out in L.A. We have got a lot of big things in the work for, for this summer. We, we, you know, we talked earlier about rock and roll as a living, breathing thing. We have a whole Rock All Live concert summer series. And there's some great bands. You know, one of them this summer is going to be Fits in the Tantrums. Love We've got it. a number of other artists we're going to be announcing. Um, we even have free shows. So if you just want to hear live local music, you can come down. The Beatles exhibit is going to be staying through the rest of the year. Get back to Let It Be. Oh, if you're wow. even mildly a Beatles fan, it is absolutely. That's one of those moments. I think I mentioned it earlier, mm-hmm. right? You're you're watching on this screen the, the footage that Peter Jackson redid from the original Let It Be film by Michael Lindsay Hogg. And then you turn around and there's John's guitar. <laughs> you know, like that. Yeah. that's the moment that's like electrifying to me. Right. So, yeah. Uh, and our great garage exhibit on the second floor where you can come in and actually play rock and roll instruments, learn how to do it through some uh, lessons or sit in with our house band or even other guests and play. And, I, you know, I'm spoiled. I, I get to sit down in front of a B3 and play, you know, Les Paul all the time. But for a lot of guests, they've never held an actual Les Paul guitar in their hands. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty amazing to get to come here and do that. There's a whole new wing forthcoming, right? There's construction. We've got an expansion, yeah. And it's going to be starting soon. And we'll have a whole new uh, building between us and the Great Lakes Science Center next door. That'll have a new theater. Uh, It'll give us room for new exhibit space and updating what we have. And that's a project that's going to take the next couple of years. But it's going to take us into the next 30 years of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. (laughs) It looks like you've got your job for life, my friend. (laughs) I hope so. Never retire. I'm doing all right at it so far. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you so much. Happy Vinyl Thon to you. Yes, Todd, Rob, uh, Tim, thank you so much. And happy Vinyl Thon. (laughs) Cheers. You are listening to Vinyl Thon. Vinyl Thon. Vinyl Thon. 
Because in vinyl, we trust. We thank Jason Hanley very, very much indeed for his time and, of course, the kind of welcome at the Rock Hall. And so, as was mentioned in the interview, let's play now from vinyl, Billy Joel from the album Glass Houses. It's still rock and roll to me. Welcome to Vinylthon 2023. Alright, so two of my favorite albums. We have Homesick by A Day to Remember. It's probably my favorite one because it was the first metal album that I ever actually listened to. And then Evolution by Disturbed because I had a uh, near-death experience and the album actually really helped me get through it. Who y'all talking to, man? This is Lou. My favorite albums are Michael Jackson oh. Thriller, Jay-Z The Check Blueprint, and Notorious B.I.G. Life After this Death. My name is Tom Sensetta, and I would say that a couple of my favorite albums would be Tyler the Creator's Flower Boy, Wu-Tang Clan's uh, Enter the Wu-Tang, and Bon Jovi's New Jersey, but mainly the Bad Medicine song. I'm Anthony, and I like highlighting Fine Line by Harry Styles because it played a big role with getting me through the pandemic.
Two of my favorite albums are Natural Affair by The Growlers and This Empty Northern Hemisphere by Gregory Allen Isakoff. An album that I really love is Un Verano Senti by Bad Bunny. Um, I really love how he takes a different, different types of music in the Latin culture and puts it into one album. And it become very mainstream as well, so it's bringing a lot of Latina culture to the rest of the world. While I was digging through the attic, I found my mom's original copy of Sgt. Pepper's, and I'm really excited to listen to it because it's a connection to family and also music that I love. The album that I want most on vinyl would have to be Sweetener by Ariana Grande because it helped lift me up at my worst times. I'd say the album I want most on vinyl would be Playboy Cardi's album, Die Lit. It's just the artist himself, like anything he does, he's like so experimental. And um, I just feel like he changed a lot of like rap and then his own style and made a lot of other, you know, people move forward in the music industry. An album that I wish I had on vinyl is Ex Military by Death Grips. That album really channels your animal instincts. Being able to listen to that record out loud on vinyl would be an experience for sure. If I had to get a first vinyl record ever, it would be Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. I think that's a perfect album all around. Welcome back to Vinylthon 2023. Kathy Millar is someone who's worked in radio for decades. Based in the New York, New Jersey area, Kathy has worked at some of the biggest stations in the country. WDHA, WLTW, WCBS New York City, WHUD, Fishkill, New York, and continues to work as a voiceover artist today. She started way back at the place that I currently teach at, William Patterson University. But Kathy's experiences in radio, with and without vinyl, and her experiences meeting and getting to know some of the inductees at the Rock Hall make her a perfect interview for this Vinylthon radio special. My name is Kathy Millar, and I'm an alum of William Patterson University. And I started in radio as I transferred into William Patterson in the fall of 1975. 47 years of basically mm -hmm. professional radio experience. Yep. That includes um, the first voiceover work that I did was at William Patterson. Interestingly, it was for someone in the um, film department. You were on radio in the era mm -hmm. when vinyl records was the only way to play music, essentially, right? Yes. Oh, and I was the first person in the United States to air a CD. So let me ask you about that. So you were used to playing vinyl on the radio, and that mm -hmm. was all you really knew. When you were the first person to play CD, uh, <laughs> how, first of all, how did that come about, and what was that like? Did you recognize when you put the CD in, oh, this means that vinyl could be over? Ah, uh, no, I didn't recognize that. And and I'll tell you why. The guy that ran our radio station, WDHA at the time, loved gadgets and gizmos. And I mean, we had a quad system that would be broadcasting for a while. And, and I mean, it was just, he had two microphones, a right channel and a left channel. And you had to keep your head still between them. You couldn't separate them. Otherwise, it sounded like you were chasing yourself around a room. I mean, it was, <laughs> he loved gadgets and gizmos. There was a company called Denon, D-E-N-O-N, -E that was making these CD players. And we got imported discs from Japan. We had Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run with Japanese writing on it. What did we have? Abbey Road, I think we had. And it was, you know, and there was a bunch of other um, uh, albums that we played. On, uh, Billy Joel's uh, 52nd Street was another one they were given to us to play as demos. And I have a tape of me describing this whole thing about, well, it's smaller than a 45, it plays with a laser beam and it plays from the inside out. It plays from the hole back out instead of outside in. 
And I, we put it in the machine and we, you know, I'm okay, press this button, press that button. It was hooked up into the system. The quality was so bad with those early Japanese imports that the vinyl sounded better. But as time went on and it happened very quickly, we pretty much replaced the whole library with CDs. Now, of course, everything is digital and it's in a computer and there's no um, there's no generational problem, just like there wasn't with the CD. There's it, it sounds exactly it sounds exactly the same as it does on the first copy. But with tapes, with cart, we had some stuff, songs that were on cart. We had a problem with those as well because the generations would wear off. So how do you feel now, really in the last five to ten years, Mm -hmm. vinyl records have come back. How do you feel about vinyl coming back and radio stations for Vinylthon, this event that we have this weekend, Mm -hmm. that stations are going back 24, 48 hours of vinyl only. How does that make you feel? Well, there's still some stuff that's out there that's only on vinyl. And it gives that stuff a chance to see the light of day. That's first of all, that's great. Um, the brand new vinyl seems to be pressed from cleaned up masters. So it's cleaner than it was in in the original day. You know, when we got a, an album, even if it was a brand new, I don't know, Fleetwood Mac album right out of the, you know, right out of the shrink wrap and put it on the, the on the turntable. If you were to take that same album nowadays, the vinyl is pressed, I believe, from the cleaned up master. Right. So it sounds clearer to me now. Um, it's a lot of fun to, to play vinyl, but it's also a lot more work than having it in the computer and just you know running your finger down or using a mouse or clicking on something and it's ready or knowing what the next five songs are gonna be that you're gonna play. Mm. You don't have to walk over to the wall and say, hmm, what sounds good with John Mellencamp? Hmm, mm. let's see. Oh, how about a Bruce Springsteen song? Creed's Clearwater Revival. Oh, we need a two and a half minute song. How about something by the Beatles? We had a lot of say for a very long time when I worked at WDHA, which is why I stayed there so long. You could actually make a set. And I don't mean a theme set, songs about money, songs about snow, songs about rain. I mean like, wow, that song sounds a lot like this. This song sounds like that. That's got a good violin part on it that dovetails into this. That was the most fun. The art of the segue is missing. And that to me is the key to having a cohesive sounding radio station but vinyl yeah um i love that it's back i really do and i love that the technology has kind of gone forward we're now where vinyl would have been in the early 90s had it not fallen by the by the wayside another thing that the people miss with vinyl is the the cover art Hmm. the records all had cover art i used to bring in some albums when I when I taught at at the university, and one of them was Elton John's "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road," which is like a fourfold out monster with all kinds of cover art inside of it, and they open it up and oh wait, it opens again and again. Wow, they absolutely loved it. it everything is miniaturized now. If you even buy it on a CD, it's miniaturized. Or if you're clicking on it online, they'll show you a picture of what the album cover looked like or a picture of the artist, but they don't show you the cover. They I used to love to read the album covers, read the meat and potatoes about who, who produced it, who plays on that. Oh my gosh, that's so-and-so singing backgrounds. How do they even know each other? I love that stuff. That was, that was key. That was a lot of fun. Let me ask you, what are your memories of when the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame began? When you look at all the inductees over the years, I was just wondering from your own radio career, how many of the inductees, Kathy, did you ever have access to or talk to or interview? 
Uh, let's see. I have the list here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Oh my gosh. 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 32, 33, 34, 35, wow. 36, 37. Um, a lot. 30 plus one that's coming up for 39. So, okay, yeah. so either I've met them backstage at a concert, or I met them at a party or whatever, or I, I interviewed them, or I interviewed them on the phone and never met them face to face. But right. that happens too. Um, really cool, really cool people. I, that was my very favorite thing about being on the air, doing interviews, especially interviews. I could talk music with people all day. Of course, I could talk all day anyway, but I could talk music all day. This is a really hard question to answer. Mm -hmm. Out of those 38 plus, could you give maybe a couple of highlights or moments from those names of insights into interactions with them? Well, two of my very favorite interviews. One was with Roger McGuinn of The Birds, he had a Birds box set coming out and also a solo album, and he was making the rounds. And the two, he was on two different record labels. The Birds were on Columbia, and his solo career was on Arista. And both of the record companies kind of worked together, which was a first, to get him to as many people as possible. He came out with a Rickenbacker 12-string guitar and sat right next to me and played Bird's Classics and sang, I mean, it would, so you want to be a rock and roll star, my back pages. I mean, I just sat there like, and I, all I could think of was if the alarm goes off now and I wake up, I'm going to be so disappointed. Oh, and he was just the nicest man too. I mean, could not have been nicer. And we had such a good repartee going back and forth that as I talked about like his old days of being, you know, dressing the part and stuff like that with the aviator glasses or the little square glasses, granny glasses and stuff. He started playing, so you want to be a rock and roll star. I mean, it was just like he was he was kind of disc jockeying the songs that he was playing live. It was it was just phenomenal. He was great. James Taylor, oh my gosh. One of my best friends in the whole world who has since passed away was a huge fan of his. And I said, um, I think you're going to be calling in sick to work tomorrow. He said, why? I said, because James Taylor's coming to the radio station. He was like, oh, I'll call you right back. He calls in sick, calls me back. <laughs> and he got to meet James Taylor. It was um, for him. He said it was one of the happiest days of his whole life. And now that he's gone, it's like, well, I'm so glad I got to give that to him. But James, again, nice guy. They were setting up for him to play live. He had brought a guitar with him. And again, he's sitting like right across the counter from me. And my... Uh, friend who was the engineer who was setting it up so I, you know we said well do you, i know you want to play some stuff from the new album james and you know you want to play some some classic stuff too he goes um well do you think it would be all right if i did um sweet baby james <laughs> the engineer kind of looks over the top of his glasses at me like did he just ask you <laughs> i just smiled i said i think that'd be just fine <laughs> But he was wonderful. And I also, I won an international radio award for the interview I did with him. And I got to see him in concert after that. I went backstage and I told him that we won the international radio award for this, this interview. And he looked at me and goes, did we win any money? <laughs> I said, no, but we got a lovely plaque. Um, would it be all right if I kept the plaque? And he goes, okay, you can keep the plaque. I have a couple of Grammy awards, so you can have the plaque. 
Okay, so final question for me, and this is going to be a tough one. I'm putting you on the spot. Um, okay. If I could ask you to pick one artist who's in the Rock Hall and play one song from that one artist, what would that song be? Bruce Springsteen, Thunder Road. And why? It always brings me to tears. He sings that, I mean, Bruce is never going to be mistaken for Pavarotti, right? When he <laughs> sings, it comes from so deep inside of him that if you've never seen him perform live, you don't quite get it until you do. And when you see him perform live, it's never the same. He, he's fantastic. He hits it out of the park almost every time I hear something by him. So that brings us to the end of our special Vinathon two-hour show, and we hope you've enjoyed it. We sincerely thank everyone who made this two-hour show possible, particularly Dr. Jason Hanley, Joe Butler, and Alyssa Matthews at The Rock Hall. The interview with Jason Hanley was produced by Mayera Viana. Thanks to Todd Richards, Tim Craig, Kathy Millar, Laurie Quick for all their help in this production. The producers were Rob Quick, Todd Richards, and Tim Craig. More information is available 
at vinylthon.com. In vinyl, we must. This is Vinylthon. All vinyl, all day. Because when the needle drops, the power rises. From high atop the Genesee Community College, this is WGCCFM Batavia, the Music FM. Mr. Booz. You've seen how Peter Griffin drives. Don't be Peter Griffin. Don't drink and drive. That spells booze. Don't mess around with Mr. Booze. This public service announcement is made possible by WGCC. WGCC. We play metal. Country. Christian rock. The hits of today and back in the day. We talk sports. And events going on around the campus. You never quite know what you're going to get. We are 90.7 The Music FM. WGCC. WGCC. 